It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Hello and welcome to the True Show. My name is James True Penny. This is my show. Today we're taking a slightly different and steady look at the world of professional wrestling. I'm here by myself today. We're going to partly do this show. As a question and answer session, we're going to look at some news items of current uh, wrestling expedience, which might be um, interesting for you to look at. We're also going to review the Fantastic Mania Tour, because for years now, the Troopany Show has said we are going to look at the Fantastic Mania Tour, and we never have. So, <laughs> and I said this week, hey, who wants to look at the Fantastic Mania Tour? And I was resp- the response was, no, it's not my cup of tea, it's Lucha. It's not, it's not strong style, so it's not our thing. So I'm endeavouring to do this by myself, but to make things more interesting, because as you know, when I have to do this by myself, I'm never really sure whether it works or not. So I've got a Q&A going on online, and we are going to look at some Q&A answers today, or some of the answers today, and some tomorrow, because it is Saturday as I record this. My partner's gone out, so I've got the house to myself, so I can nicely record the first part in this session. I'm going to record it in several pieces. I'm going to record today after we watch the first cage, uh, sorry, the first New Japan Fantastic Mania show, which was from Tag Night Five at Corican Hall. So we're going to look at that part of the tour, and we're going to look at Night Six tomorrow night because those are the two shows that looked most interesting to me on New Japan World. I thought they looked cool, and also they've happened. There's apparently a show tonight, so that might be a separate one to do. But also, there's a bit of a tournament over these two nights, so I think it's worthwhile to look at these two. I'm going to answer a couple of Q and A questions from tonight. Then I'm going to take a break, and then tomorrow night I'll record the second night when I've had a chance to watch that um, and give you some more reflections on the Fantastic Mania tour. And then uh, I will also answer some more questions then and give the Twitter feed time to mature as I ask for questions during the day. So the wrestling world has been pretty busy this week, and some of the questions for the Q&A have been asked, so I'll save those comments for then. Uh, but let's have a look at this here. Fantastic Mania show. The Fantastic Mania tour has been a staple of New Japan Pro Wrestling for the last six or seven years or so, and the relationship between CMLL and New Japan is very close. Uh, it goes back to the days of Ghetto and Ghetto, really, working for UWA in Mexico and having strong Mexican excursions. There is a lot of wrestlers, very specifically Tetsuya Nato, who has a lot to thank for his lucha excursions, as well as many of the others who spent a lot of time in Mexico who really enjoy the lucha side of wrestling, including Tatsuya Okada, sorry, Tatsuya Okada, Kazuchika Okada, obviously, who was a Tori Moon wrestler before he was a New Japan wrestler. So lucha has a strong friend in New Japan Pro Wrestling, and CML very specifically do as well. Lots of championships are on this tour. Occasionally, there's a bet match, a mask versus mask, or a hair versus hair match on a New Japan show. So it's really interesting to see what they do. And the Japanese wrestlers do love tagging with their Japanese counterparts occasionally. <laughs> On this night, Fuego tagged with Raisuke Taguchi. Now, let's be honest, Fuego didn't quite get the um what was the word? The 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 team Taguchi playbook quite right, and there was a bit of a language barrier. Uh, they defeated Suzuki Gun, Duki, and Namoje. Uh, Namajugi. Uh, Namajugi? Let me just, how am I pronouncing that? Let me get this right. Ah, yeah, him. Who, uh, 
that would be a guy who you may recognise as El Desperado, who isn't on this tour. Ah, I didn't realise the joke, Claire. Now is Yage at 7 minutes and 22 seconds. That's, that's, that's El Desperado's um, non-Japanese uh, name. When he came in Mexico, that's who he wrestled as. And he brings it back to the Fantastic Mini Tour. You forget about these things because they happen so few, so few and far between. It was a good, fun match, actually. It was well put together. And Taguchi and Fuego kind of like have a lot of comedy chemistry, which, which really helped them out. So I was kind of happy with this match. Dookie's Dookie does what he says on the tin. Also, uh, interesting points from the commentary. Dookie was actually a, uh indie wrestler in Mexico in his excursions when he went there. And they took himself down there to learn Mexican wrestling. Didn't really like CMLL and AAA, the big companies, tended to work on the indie circuit. So that was an interesting point they made. 7 minutes and 22 seconds. Uh, with Figi, Fuego and Taguchi taking the win over the Suzuki Gun guys. Very interesting kind of matchup, but yes, it was good. Next was Udaz versus Guerrero Mayo Jr. They defeated Luciferno and Yoshinubi Kanemura. 10 minutes and 18 seconds. Luciferno and Kanemura were really well put together in this matchup. It was really kind of a bit strange how they didn't win, to be honest. But Kanemura is, you know, he's Kanemura. He doesn't usually tag with Luciferno. He should have been tagging with Namujegi. <laughs> Namujegi, oh, or however Desperado pronounces that name. Uh, but again, it's just good, fun, bump and run lucha. It's not particularly hard. This was a bit stiffer, went outside the ring a little bit more. There was a little bit more chaos in a Suzuki gun style, as you would expect. But overall, nothing wrong with any of these wrestlers. Perfectly serviceable wrestling. I think the issue I have with Lucha is it tends to be just so spot-heavy and everything is done through actions uh, rather than any verbal storytelling a lot of the time. It's very much big pantomime wrestling, which isn't really my thing. But there was quite the exchanges of mat wrestling in this, which I really enjoyed early on. Very much more kind of like the luchadors going towards the Japanese style in this sense. But this, this worked really well. Los Ignorables de Japón, Bushi, Shingo, Takagi, and Tetsu United defeated Dulce Gardenia, Flyer, and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Flyer in his La Parker tribute gear, which was very nice. Flyer has a similar mask, and he wore a cape very much in style of La Parker. Obviously, La Parker, not the original La Parker who was in WCW and the current one who wrestles for MLW, that's LA Park. But the original La Parker passed away after injuries in a wrestling match the other week, which is quite sad. So. It was nice to see somebody out of this Triple Mania tour paying tribute to him. He became quite a star in Mexico, despite his dubious origins. Um, obviously, as the person who replaced somebody else in a, in a, under a mask. Uh, but it worked out you know, pretty well for him. He had a good and strong career, and it's a, a shame to see him passing. Um, but yeah, it was nice for Flyer to put that little bit of tribute together for him. For a guy who never wrestled for CMLL, it was really very cool. Uh, Los Ignorables were really good, as they always are. Shingo Takagi kind of did make out, as in press conferences recently, there's always a bit of a blind spot for Lucha guys, because he's not a Lucha guy, despite the fact he wrestled in Torimon and Darangate, which are kind of Lucha-inspired companies. Didn't really get it, and he's starting to get it now, and it works for him. Dolce Gardenia, not seen him before. He's an Exotico. I'm a little bit torn on the whole Exotico kind of deal because there's a lot of non-consensual kissing going on, which I'm not particularly a fan of, and it kind of makes, you know... It sounds really dead serious because it's supposed to be wrestling, but it isn't, because it is dead serious to a lot of people, and a lot of people don't like it. It makes gay people look out to be predatory, and they're not. 
So that is something I'm I'm uneasy with the Exotico kind of tradition. I think that the Exotico tradition is great for giving LGBTQI people uh, a big outlet, especially in a heavily Catholic country, as it has done down the years. But what they have to do to make a living it doesn't quite sit well with me. I think we should probably day, one day do a documentary episode on Exotico just to see how it all fits together. But anyway, Dulce Gardenia, actually pretty good wrestler, uh, good flyer, good uh, lucha stylist, and bags of charisma. He had the crowd on his side so well. And Hiroshi Tanashi, he was a bit good. <laughs> uh, however, the full-on offense of Bushi and Shingo Takagi and Tetsu United was far too much for our uh, Technicus friends. Dulce Gardena fell down to an axe bomber from Shingo Takagi at the 10 minute, 11 minutes mark. Uh, Dulce Gardenia had a was kind of like after Bushi, which is really bizarre to me because like the whole LIJ thing is about brotherhood and a, a, a bit bisexual at least. <laughs> to be honest, we talk about Evil and Sonata being wrestle husbands all the time. So it was a bit weird for them to play the slightly homophobic foil when, you know, they tend to be the ones that kind of push a different kind of agenda than the rest of the roster. It was a bit weird. I wouldn't have picked them to do it. I'd have picked Bullet Club to do it. But there's already too many Gaijins on the show, so they let, they let Bullet Club have the week off. Anyway, the next match was Forestario with Okamura. They defeated Stuka Jr. and Titan in 9 minutes and 6 seconds. Okamura's usual um, second, uh, Mima Shimoda, who probably, to be honest, has headlined more tag team matches in Kurokan Hall than any of the men on this card. And it's a better tag team wrestler than any of the men on this card. Uh, it was a fist and fire job. This was uh, a deep feud between Okamura and Stucker Jr. and Titan and Forestario has been going for quite some time, and this didn't slow it down. They've got single matches on this tour. They told the story well. They got over really well with the crowd. They knew what they were doing um, as far as telling the story. And it was a lot of fun to watch. Really, really was. El Barberio Cavanaro and Ultima Guerrera, they defeated Caristicio and Satoshi Kojima. 13 minutes and 3 seconds. I think Guerrero and Kojima have singles matches coming up this weekend, which would be really interesting to see. Satoshi Kojima kind of gets a lot of work on these tours because he's so experienced and he can work with anybody and make anybody look good. And this was a good example of that. I can't wait to see him in Guerrero. That's going to be fun to watch. Big it, lads. Big lad wrestling. Proper wrestling as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, we'll see what happens with those two. But by gum, this was a an excellent wrestling match. It was a lot of fun, a lot of back and forth. It's interesting to see how in this particular field... The the uh, wrestlers, I mean, Barbaro and Caverno and Guerrero, oh, sorry, Caverno and Guerrero are incredibly popular Japanese fans. They do get CMLL TV. They have been watching them for a long, long time and they popped really big for them, which is really interesting. But also it does kind of show you how popular Lucha Libre is in Japan and they're kind of excited to see everybody. And it's a different sound of feel from the crowd. Kurikan Hall's full of wrestling fans who love Lucha Libre. And there's air horns and there's noise. And it, it's not the usual Kurikan crowd who are a bit more quiet and appreciative and swipe golf clap for a good move. This was a serious Lucha-style crowd, so they were into everything. And it meant some people could free up. And Kojima looked really good in this matchup, as good as he has done for a while. He's got a match against... Uh, 
like I said, Guerrero, uh, they're coming up on this particular tour. He also has uh, a couple of big matches coming up on the New Beginnings tour. So we'll see how he goes and maybe have a, a better 2020 than he had in 2019. Now fully recovered from his injuries. He had some big losses last year and I'm hoping they give him a bit more to do because Nakanishi's retiring. There's only him and Tenzan who are holding the third div the third generation flag together. They need to do a bit more, I think. But we will see. La Sangrea Dinamita, El Quataro and Sanson defeated El Sabrano and Euphoria in 9 minutes and 30 seconds. Now this is the first in a first round matchup for the CMLL Family Tag Team Tournament 2020. La Sangre and Dinamita are actually brothers, and El Sabrano Jr. and Euphoria are father and son. So this was an interesting first round match. The heels won. They took it to the crowd. They took it to uh, El Sobrano Jr. and Euphoria. Interestingly, no barriers around the fans at Currican for a lucha show because, you know, the wrestlers might land on the barriers. So you can't have that, and the fans have to go out the way. And quite a few fans got landed on in this match. <laughs> but it was good fun while it lasted. Uh, this was awesome, and I really was impressed with La Sangre and Dinamita. It's also the thing you watch when you're watching these guys wrestle is just how safe they are with each other. They clearly all each know each other really well. They know where each other are going really, really well. And it's nice to see them just have a pure CMLL set two match. Whereas, you know, the hybrid matches between the Japanese guys and the Lucha guys may lose a little zing on their uh, interchanges because they're not used to wrestling each other. And there's other technical things as well. Like Mexican wrestlers always wrestle from the right and Japanese wrestlers always wrestle from the left because they were taught by Brits and Americans who wrestle from the left. And so you get this odd kind of dictomy of people picking wrong uh, legs to do things with and having no leverage because they're kind of expecting things to come from the right. It's a bit weird. But this is how, you know, the way wrestling has evolved from down the years. Um, and it... it it's interesting to see this completely different take on professional wrestling in Crooked Hall, for a start, the home of pro wrestling in Japan. Uh, but this matchup was great. Um, again, I really enjoyed it. And certainly the main event was absolutely fantastic. Angel de Horo and Nieblo Roja defeated Ladinista Casas, Negro Casas and Tiger in 12 minutes and 55 seconds. I've been watching Negro Casas wrestle now for around about 30 years on and off, <laughs> 25 years, and watching him again, he's still got everything he needs to be a professional wrestler. I mean, his shoulders do look dreadful. They've clearly been drawn on by a cartoonist. Um, but he is still everything a pro wrestler should be in this day and age. He's sharp. He's innovative. Um, he is a fantastic professional wrestler. Tiger... Um, is also great. I'm trying to see what relationship Tiger is to Negro Casas. Uh, he was trained, so that would suggest that he is um, part of the Casas family. For those of you who don't know, Negro Casas has a younger brother, Heavy Metal, who had runs in the WWE and was a big star in AAA in the 1990s. And Pepe Casas, their father, was one of the great technical wrestlers of all time in Lucha Libre, and also a senior official for AAA in the 1990s. I watched so many Pepe Casas refereed matches. Uh, he was the Technicos referee, referee in the 1990s, an incredibly popular man, um, and a brilliant, brilliant technical wrestler. But they lost Angelo and Held de Horo and Niebli Roja. So they go uh, up against the heel team of Sangre Denimita uh, 
on tonight, actually, on the next, well, the next night, which is the card we're going to look at next. So that concludes part one of the review section. Now we're going to have a look at some of the Q&A stuff that we've been sent. Uh, today's round of Q&As. I'm going to look to my Twitter feed. I'm going to answer a few of these questions, and I will add more tomorrow. Uh, let us have a look and see what we can find. Some of them are not easy. Michael Riley has asked us several questions. Um, Ad Adventurous Future Man Rockford. Uh, that'll be a Rockford guy who obviously asks me questions every time. We'll start with Rockford guy. In 2020, what do you think the new big storyline in New Japan is going to be? Well, the obvious storyline is Tetsuya Naito. Obviously, as double champion. Now, here's the thing: the chase is the moneymaker for Tetsuya Naito. That's the that's the thing that is the thing that grabbed the attention. Now, keeping those belts and making it a financial success is a different thing. And he'll be relying on his bookers to develop good storylines. Now, the first one with Kenta is ideal. Kenta is a guy who can believably beat Nato, even though he lost to Goto at Wrestle Kingdom. He's had a good, strong run of success recently since he came back to what well, came to New Japan. He's disliked amongst the fans, which so makes him an ultimate heel, because Nato is really a fan favorite now. Lij are really a fan favorite squad. However, they're not completely over as fan favourites. They're kind of in the same position that Okada and Chaos were about three or four years ago, where they started off as heels and slowly morphed into being basic baby faces because Shinsuke Nakamura became more and more popular, because Kazuchika Okada became more and more popular. Yano was starting to get cheered for cheating all the time, which was slightly bizarre. And Tomohiro Ishii was putting in performances that were that stoic. Everybody loved him because his matches were so great. And how they did it was, well, Chaos had to embrace being good guys. That's the only way they could get around that. They couldn't just make um, Okada the babyface and have the rest of LIJ as heels or Nakamura the babyface. So over a period of time, they were slowly turned with the help of Hiroshi Tanahashi acting like a jackass <laughs> uh, in, uh, invasion one year. Invasion attack one year and working full heel against Nakamura that really helped Nakamura push over the top as a babyface because you know uh, Tanahashi knew what he was doing certainly and it helped get them over as babyfaces and the ultimate ultimate kind of like accolade for that was when Akada came to save Tanahashi from Jay White and we ain't going through this shit again with Bullet Club <laughs> angle from two years ago, well, 18 months ago now, no, nearly two years ago. So that's really where you're at with um, NATO. But to do this, to get him over, he needs big evils. He needs guys who are over as bad guys. So the first obvious one is Kenta. The next obvious one has to be Tanahashi. NATO has to finally put the nail in the coffin of Tanahashi's babyface run as IWGP heavyweight champion. But that makes it difficult for him to be a babyface. And so maybe they go with Minoru Suzuki first. If they feed him big evils for a long, long time, he can have a long run. We're assuming he's going to keep the belt probably to Wrestle Kingdom next year, or at least to Dominion, and certainly possibly to King of Pro Wrestling. It's going to be in that period. He needs a long, good run to establish himself and to get the best out of him whilst he is still a viable heavyweight proposition, because his knees are not in the best of shape. And it would be a shame to waste it whilst they had the opportunity. So, that's where I'm kind of at with Tetsuya Nato at the minute. He needs some big evils to beat. John Moxley, Lance Archer, Minoru Suzuki, Jay White. Those kind of guys. 
big, bad, evil people is what he needs to run. Obviously, Moxley is not as evil as that in New Japan Pro Wrestling, but he has the potential to be evil. And three belts would be an interesting kind of angle. I don't think they are going to. I think they're going to try and create the US title separate so that it's a bit different, essentially what the Never Openweight Championship has been. And I think the Never Openweight Championship is very useful as a world television title, basically, a very quick-moving mid-table title for people like Ishii and Goto and, to an extent, Will Ospreay. So that's there. I think we're at with Tetsuya Naito. His story has to be establishing himself as a dominant champion over a period of time. They've waited this long. He's the most popular wrestler they have, you know, um, and that's really where they have to go with him. They have to kind of like develop him and push him the same way they have done with Okada, give him an interesting title run. And he has to win matches. Now, as a babyface, he can't just go out and dominate people like he could do a couple of years ago as a heel member of LIJ. He's too popular for that now. He's a babyface. He has to be a bump and grind wrestler, which kind of shortens his title run because you can't put that pressure on you every night. You ask people who have held major titles and major companies in Japan, it's the most stressful job in professional wrestling. Now, people like Tanahashi and Okada thrive on it. They absolutely adore living like that. Someone like uh, Io Shirai wanted anything but to be champion after she'd lost the title. You know, she said, I'd rather go and do comedy matches for the rest of my career than be World of Stardom champion again, because it was an awful lot of pressure to put on yourself when you're leading the company. Um, and I think NATO has been waiting for this moment his entire career, so I don't think he's going to waste it. But equally, his physical body breakdown is the big issue and how much he can carry uh, those titles in a proper manner. Now he said on in the past, if he only has five years left in wrestling, he will give you five years worth of effort. He only has two years left in wrestling, he'll give you two years worth of wrestling effort. This is essentially shit or bust for Tetsuya Naito. He will give his absolute all, regardless of the cost of his body, which is the other thing which really worries me about this title wrong. How much pressure can he put himself under and still survive? So we'll see. But my personal take for what's going to happen with NATO is keep things open and feed him as many monsters as you can find. So that's my big answer for that session. Um, what else we got we can answer today? Uh, let's see. Oh, interesting question from Michael O'Reilly. Michael always asks a bunch of stuff. So I'm going to answer two today and a bunch of the rest tomorrow. One of them is very similar to what... Um, the previous question, what is more important to NATO's title on box office or critical appraisal? Let us look at that for a start. Much more, uh, as it were on the same subject, is, is critical appraisal or money-making money more important? To NATO, critical appraisal is more important than making money. I don't think he cares. I think he, I think he does care about making money, but I think he wants to send the home, fans home satisfied first and foremost, which is the reason why the fans love him. But I think there's a much closer tie with critical appraisal in Japan than there is anywhere else. There can be dreadful matches on Monday Night Raw, but if they tell the story correctly the way you want to tell them and the fans pick up on it, then it doesn't matter if it's a terrible match. What matters is more people watched it, or there was more ratings buys, or there was whatever money reason um, helped the company. Whereas in Japan, critical matches... Uh, artistically critical matches make money. I'll take you back to the golden period of all Japan Pro Wrestling in the mid-1990s. 
and All Japan Women in the mid-1990s, those were the best professional wrestling matches we've ever seen. Objectively, we can say that. Artistically, they were absolutely superior to anything else going on at the time. Having said that, FMW, with matches that weren't as good, were making far more money and filling bigger stadiums. So it's, it's a bit six and one and a half a dozen of the other. I think in the context of New Japan, the better the match, the bigger the ticket sales. Because they don't always come to see the big star. They come to see a great match. Okada is not as popular as NATO, and Okada will be the first person to tell you that. But people love to watch Okada wrestle. That's the difference maker. They are willing to pay the money to know they will have the God's greatest, God's gift of a professional wrestling match performed in front of them. So there's that kind of thing that goes on with Okada. And I think that with NATO, you've got the package of he's charismatic, he's popular, and he can have great matches. Now, as I've just said previous in the previous questions, whether we continue having those great matches at this rate is another matter entirely, and we'll have to see how that develops. But I don't see him not doing fantastic things in 2020. It just depends on how much his body can hold up. Right then, so I'm at 25 minutes, so I think that's enough for an episode one of this weekend with James Troopney watching professional wrestling. Um, I want some more Q&A questions tomorrow. Michael's got me a bunch, and um, I will ask some more tomorrow, uh, or answer some more tomorrow, and I will have a look at that second CMLL match. So on the other side of this musical stinger, I will speak to you again. Bye for now. Hello, and welcome to night two of the Troopany Show. I say night two. I'm recording this at night on Sunday night, the Monday before it is released into the world. Um, and I've watched more Fantastica Mania, not today's show. I might have a quick run through of that next week, actually, to be honest with you. Fantastica Mania was great. I really loved it. I really enjoyed the entire concept of Fantastica Mania as a show. And this was a particularly good one. We had Duki and Luciferno. They lost to Fuego and Raisuke Taguchi in a rematch from the night before, which didn't really go very well for Suzuki Goon. I think Luciferno is, a, is an associate member of Suzuki Goon and will stay very associate if you see what I mean. Next up was Namajuji and Yushinobu Kanemura with Okamura, um, not of Suzuki Gun, but with Mimi Shimoda, who was far more violent than anyone else in Suzuki Gun, except for the boss himself. In fact, he might, she might push Minoru Suzuki to the edge of uh, actual wrestling violence. They defeated Flyer, Guerrero Mayo Jr., and Stucker Jr. in 9 minutes and 41 seconds when uh, Okamura. Managed to pin Stucker Jr., which led to, well, with a, a bit of assistance from mask removal, which of course builds up to their big match, which happened today, which is Stucker Jr. versus Okamura for the uh, junior uh, historic NWA Junior Heavyweight Championship, which was a bit of a corker from what I understand. Mishimoto made her presence felt there as well. This was a lot of fun too. It really kind of highlighted a lot of the big names in. Uh, Joshi in Joshi in Lucha in CMLL. Um, you know, Guerrero Mayo Jr., sorry, Stuka Jr., is a hell of a guy, hell of a wrestler. And uh, Guerrero Mayo Jr. and Flyer were not there for the numbers. Kanemura and Namaje were kind of like, kind of there, to be honest with you. Obviously, Namaje is actually Desperado, it's Despi under a different mask. That's his CMLL name. He was tagging with Yoshinobu Kanemura in their regular tag team. Um, even though it's not really him. But it was a lot of fun. It was good. 
And it's amazing how actually Nami does like differentiate the two characters really, really strongly. Um, it, because it's from a different point era in his entire, you know, career. There's only a couple of moves that cross over from him back then to him now. So it was cool to watch him again, going back to the old kind of moveset. Next matchup was Los Ignorables de Japón, Bushi, Evil, and Shingo Takaki. They defeated Adaz, Dulce Gardenia, and Hiroshi Tanahashi in 10 minutes and 44 seconds. Kind of the match they had all tour, really, from what I can understand. It was very good for what it was. I still have this problem with Dulce Gardenia, because I'm not sure if I should have a problem or not, if you see what I mean. I mean, non-consensual kissing is, is not good in any stretch of the imagination. For anything or for anyone really so yeah it wasn't really my cup of tea all, all ends up but lij get another win um this time i think it was a well does can't remember exactly who got the pin but next up was a single match forestario defeat was defeated by titan in 13 minutes and 20 seconds titan has become quite the new japan regular after last year's best of super juniors he's kind of beloved by the new japan faithful and forestario was a great foil for him their styles mash really, really well. This kind of was like a proper CMLL singles match. They kind of let it all go. Lots of aerial flying, lots of planchers, and topic suicidas, and topicon helos. The front row were very active and trying to get out of the way, and didn't always. Um, so it was fun to watch, and there was two wrestlers really enjoying themselves, clearly. So I would recommend this match. I think the cage match guys would recommend it. I certainly do. Um, if you want to kind of go a flavour of what CMLL is about, should you wish to embark upon some Lucha watching, this is a bit of a classic. It's kind of a, here's how Lucha works, especially the CMLL style, which is much more conservative than AAA, which is tend to be the more popular style in Western cultures because of their historic links with WCW and ECW. But um, CMLL is a different pace, different storytelling style. It's about families and pride and masks and a bunch of things other than championship belts. So it's very different kind of culturally, um, and I think that was really interesting to to see um, this kind of matchup in, in Currican Hall, you know, the home of great wrestling worldwide, really. Next up, Caristico and Satoshi Kojima defeated El Barro, Cavanero, and Ultima Guerrero, 11 minutes and 45 seconds. Kojima pins Guerrero and stakes a claim for the CMLL World's Heavyweight Championship. He will challenge him for him this weekend, I believe, or quite soon. Um, so that possibly before the end of the Fantastic Mania tour, we'll have news on that next week. This was a corker. Caristico, for those of you who don't know, was um, Sin Cara, not the current one, the previous one. Because um, he was Mystico, then he went off to WWE, and by the time he got back to CMLL, they had another Mystico, so he became Caristico instead, if that makes sense. But he was the original Sin Cara. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, he, a bit of shine has come off of him in his CMLL second run, as you can imagine, from like you know, a bit of being a bit of a WWE failure. Uh, Satoshi Kojima and Kosistico worked together in winning this particular matchup. Barbero Caravanero has kind of got this caveman gimmick, which I love because it's just so ridiculous. Just so lucha ridiculous. And I like the lucha ridiculous. Ultimo Guerrero is Ultimo Guerrero, one of the most fantastic mullets in all of professional wrestling, true legendary figure in the genre, and that match with Kojima should be something else to see. Two big horses really having to go at one another. So we'll see what happens there. <clears throat> and then we had a third place playoff, because everyone really cares about a third place playoff, obviously. This was for the CMLL Family Tag Team Tournament 2020 edition, 
and that was El Sobanero Julia and Euphoria who lost uh, against uh, La Sangre. Sorry, they lost against Angel de Haro and Nebley Rohe the day before, and they defeated La Dinastia Casas, Negro Casas and Tiger in eight minutes and forty-one seconds. Negro Casas and Tiger. Negro Casas has been wrestling for New Japan for nigh on thirty years now. His family is world famous. Pepe Casas was the legendary AAA referee and inventor of technical wrestling in Mexico for many, many years. Um, and he, uh, it, it was just great to see him wrestle. He didn't. I didn't think I'd still be seeing him wrestle like twenty six years after he'd already been wrestling for like ten or something ridiculous like that in the mid-90s when I first came across him. And though he doesn't fly like he used to, he is still a technical genius and one of the best heels in professional wrestling. He is perfect. And the Japanese fans loved him. In fact, if there was one problem with this match, Euphoria and Sabriano Jr. were having problems as technicos getting with fans on their side, whereas Casas, no problem whatsoever. He had this place in the palm of his hand. Tiger, as well, was very, very good and shows what he can become in the... Uh, Dynasty of the Casas's, but we'll see. The final match was La Sangrenita, Denamita, El Cuatro, and Sanson, and they defeated Angel de Haro and Nebluaja in 12 minutes and 21 seconds of an absolutely corking professional wrestling match. It was short, but by God, it packed things in. CMLL is used to TV taping matches being 10 minutes long. They don't really go for full tilt, like 60 minute long matches like they do. This was a no time limit match. With a winner, there was a winner. But it was really well put together, and Sangre Danamita are a brilliant team. They have got brilliant, breathtaking tag team maneuvers. Kind of hope they make it to World Tag League at the end of the year and see if they get invited there, because that would be really great. Um, and the same with Angel de Haro and Neblu Oje. It was a really well put together tournament. That it kind of really showed you, it put, put some meaning into these house shows for uh, the Kurokan Faithful. This is one of what New Japan do well. Small events mean a lot to New Japan Pro Wrestling, especially to the Kurokan Hall. You have to keep Kurokan happy. They're the tastemakers for the rest of Japan. So to give them something like this that they get their teeth into was really important on this particular tour. So we'll see what happens in the other matches on the tour. But I, I've really enjoyed my couple of days with Fantastic Mania. It's been very, very nice. I'm looking forward to watching the rest of the tour uh, this week. I'll see if I can get anyone to podcast with me. Uh, by the end of the week. If not, then it doesn't really matter, but we tried this year. <laughs> we put some time in to uh, time into Fantastic Mania, which is what I really wanted to do. So I really enjoyed it, but we'll see how we go with the rest of the week and see if we can get any more podcasting time in. But I did say I would go back to answer questions. Right, where was we? Uh, there we go. I'm going to go back on the Troopany Show Twitter page quite a ways to find our questions. Where are we? What have we done? Said yeah. Going back with Michael. We talked about that. Right. Best wrestling boots footwear in the last year. Also best wrestling boots footwear of all time that you've seen or wanted. I've never wanted anyone else's footwear. I have to say that, Michael. That's Michael O'Reilly. Uh, not my thing. However... I like Coach Rabushi's personalized wrestling boots. That's quite cool. I tend to like shoot shoes over full-length wrestling boots for personal taste reasons. Don't know really where you go with that from there, but yeah, Coach Rabushi's shoot shoes are nice. I, I like, um, I, I do know that um, a lot of the Japanese wrestlers like to buy their wrestling shoes from Sports Direct in the UK. 
because they're way cheaper than they are in Japan. So if anyone comes on tour to the UK, someone gets sent to Sports Direct to buy for as many wrestling boots as they can find. I do know that. <laughs> um, more from Michael O'Reilly. What's more important tonight? I'll tell. Oh, we talked about that yesterday. Top ten entrance music of all time. Five time five current wrestlers entrance music not included. Makos because we already know. Okay, then. Well, yeah. So you make. I'm not allowed to use include Makos. So top ten entrance music of all time. Top five current wrestlers entrance music. Nothing. All right. Top five current wrestlers entrance music not including Makos. Right. I've got to think about this. I'm going to go with Minoru Suzuki as number one. That's my possibly my all-time favourite, and certainly my current favourite. Uh, me and Sai also love uh, Taguchi's theme tune, because it's, as he once quite put it, it's a bit of a banger. Uh, that's what Sai said. So I'm going to put that in my top five current. I'll do the top five current first, and I'll do my top ten all-time. Um, where are we? What was the other one? Uh, so that, that's, that's three, isn't it? Oh, no, that's two. Taguchi's theme, that's Suzuki's theme. Um... I really like Ishii's theme as well. That's cool. That's three. Uh, Hyoko Inoue's theme is a very nice, breezy California rock song from the 1980s, which is very Van Halen-esque. I like that, so that's four. Uh, Aja Kong's theme is five. I'm going all time here, aren't I? But yeah, she's current. They're, they're both still wrestle, so there's five. <laughs> um, six... That that kind of covers there. I mean, I should put some other people in there who I like. Simply the best from Marty Jones. Obviously, a bit of a classic. Uh, that I'll put that at seven, a six, maybe. I have to think about this a bit more. I mean, if you listen to Music of the Mat on the uh, Voices of Wrestling podcast, Andrew does an incredible job. I know I've been a guest on his show, and he does this stuff all the time. I may hold off on this question. There's my top five, though, out of current wrestlers. Uh, my all-time top five would be... Minoru Suzuki's theme, Kazu Ninare, uh, Master of Dropkick for to Raisuke Taguchi, um, Hiyoko Inoue's theme, um, which uh, escapes me, uh, <laughs> Hiyoko Inoue's theme, um, I'm quite fond of Welcome to the Jungle for the Steiner Brothers as well, I need to put that in, I'm going to have to write things down, I didn't really think about this, so next week, when I get some spare time, I'll answer this question more in depth, but those are kind of where I'm, where I'm coming from. Any wrestlers who have changed your opinion on favourably or unfavourably after seeing them live as opposed to on TV or vice versa? Hmm, interesting question. Any wrestlers have changed my opinion on favourably or unfavourably? Um, I've done this with bands in the past, like Panic at the Disco. Boring to listen to on record. Really don't like them at all. But live band, the Corkin, really, really good live band. They know how to pack a set and they know how to make present people. So I am that kind of person. So in the opposite way around for Fall Out Boy, quite like listening to Fall Out Boy on record. Terrible live band. Absolutely atrocious live band. Don't know what they're doing. Um, but yeah, let me think about this. Wrestlers that I've changed my opinion on. Eddie Dennis, I think, is a good example. I didn't really know what to make of him after watching him on certain video streams, he seemed fairly generic. But then watching him wrestle live, he's really into it. He really does live and breathe his gimmick. He lives and breathes what he wants to do as a professional wrestler. So I'd say Eddie Dennis is one that really changed my mind on him. I don't think of anyone that has been any worse than I thought they would be. <laughs> um, War Machine as a tag team, or whatever, the, the Viking guys from WWE as they are now known, uh, the Viking experience, or as was. Because that was a really a terrible idea. 
But anyway, yeah, they were really, really good. I don't know how good they are now. They've got the treatment. Um, I would say, you know, um, I think they were a really good tag team that I've seen in New Japan, but I didn't realize how good they actually were until I saw them live in progress. So I, I would say, yes, they are out, outstanding. Um, and I think they are way better than I thought they were. Um, I'll have to have a think about some more. But as, those are the ones that kind of like strike me straight away. Where do you rank Jay White as wrestling heel today? How much does it help Jay having Ghetto with him? Ghetto is an absolute must for Jay White. Ghetto is an walking encyclopedia of professional wrestling booking. He's wrestled everywhere for everyone. He's wrestled for WCW, ECW. He wrestled for New Japan, All Japan. He's booked for All Japan as well. Professional Wrestling Noah, he's booked for them. Uh, wrestled for them. FMW, IWA, Wing. UWA in Mexico, there isn't really anywhere or any style he hasn't wrestled and he's done it really, really well to a world-class standard. Uh, came close in Best of Super Juniors a couple of times. He is really important to Jay White, not just as a booker and as an on-screen manager, as a heat machine, master heater. Um, well, that's Jado, isn't it? But certainly Ghetto, it kind of plays that role really well for Bullet Club. But Ghetto's incredibly important just in the same way it was important for Okada in having that presence. I I rank Jay really highly as a heel. Um, him and Kenta are kind of running neck and neck for the most hated people in New Japan professional wrestling at the moment. And I think that's reasonable and fair. And you have to have that heat level. And as we've talked about in previous weeks, there is nothing wrong with him having a heater and getting heat in a North American traditional way because Japanese fans don't see it very often. And people are forgetting this is what Bullet Club was built on. If you look back to the early days of Bullet Club with Devitt, Carl Anderson, Bad Luck Farley, and Tam Natonga, this is what they did all the time. This is what they were built around. Outside interference and winning matches and knocking the chips off of the shoulders of the older veterans. NATO and Jay White is very much two sides of the same coin. And I like the way that they have managed that dynamic. Jay White as an individual. He's doing things I honest to God didn't think he had in him because as a white, pure white beat maybe babyface when he left the dojo, he was impeccable. He was like Ricky Steamboat. You know, you never dream of him becoming this monster heel that he's become. And he's brilliant at it. He's an absolute genius. And, um, you know, I, we joke with Courtney and Ashley about like their little bullet club all the time, but they've got someone who is charismatic. He is a leader in the locker room, as it were. Uh, and he leads by example, and he's very young, and that's the kind of thing you need in a faction if it's going to succeed long term. Um, I don't think he's quite the charisma magnet that Devitt was. I don't think he's quite the accomplished professional wrestler AJ Styles was, but I think he could end up being better than both of them if he keeps going on this trajectory with getting this amount of presence and experience, semi-main evented Wrestle Kingdom two nights running, already you know uh so main evented wrestle kingdom last year he's getting there very very quickly he could be iwgp heavyweight champion again before the year is out i wouldn't see that being a difficult situation for him to be in um he is he's just going to keep boiling under there and he's in the right place at the right time and he knows the system inside and out and he's kind of a new japan loyalist i don't think anyone else is going to be worried they're not going to worry about um, stealing him away from someone stealing him away. He doesn't fit the WWE mold. I think, you know, he's 
kind of a lifer because he built up in that system and they've repaid their faith in him. And I think that goes a long way for, for Jay White. He, the sky's the limit for him, um, just dependent on what they decide to do with him. So, yes, Jay White is one of the best heels in professional wrestling, certainly as good as anybody else has got, and I think he's really important to um, where New Japan's going to go. Uh, Paolo Sacramento says, ROH giving Marty the pencil. That's Marty Skull. This happened last week. Good move. Last Sunday night, Ring of Honor announced that Marty Skull was not only re-signing with Ring of Honor, he is the new lead creative for the company. Yes, it is a good move. As much as I like the work of Delirious, it's quite clear in the last six months, either he hasn't been getting his own way, which I feel might be something that's happened, and he's had to deal with professional politics in the Ring of Honor locker room, because let's face it, that doesn't happen at all. Or he's run out of creative juice. And <clears throat> to be fair to Hunter, he's done an awful lot to get it, get the company where it is today. And he's worked very, very hard to make it work for him. Uh, and Delirious has done a great job. He was there back in the Jim Cornette days. You know, this is we're talking about six, seven years of consistent booking, of putting talent rosters together. And Ring of Honor is a tricky one because they do have long-term talent now for a long time. Look at the number of guys in WWE and New Japan Pro Wrestling who were Ring of Honor guys. You know, Kyle O'Reilly and um, Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish and um, Adam Cole, baby. You know, all of these people, even Seth Rollins. Uh, Dean Ambrose was a part of well, a big independent wrestling guy. Sorry, I should not just say Dean Ambrose. But, you know, there was a lot of people. AJ Styles and Samoa Joe were in, had extended runs in that period, though they were never going to get to the main event because of, time constraints and how long they were available for. So you had all these people who were important to Ring of Honor, who've either moved on to AEW or have moved on to WWE, and Delirious had to kind of get creative with keeping that thing moving. And I don't think he understood necessarily certain things the company needed to do uh, that they haven't done, certainly when it comes to Women of Honor, and certainly when it comes to maintaining long-term stardom that they perhaps needed to. I think the one of the reasons why Marty didn't get the world championship was the rumours that he would sign with somebody else at the earliest opportunity. Well, if you don't get the belt, of course you're going to move. <laughs> it's like six one and a half dozen of the other. And I think Marty Skrull is a man who's always done the different thing. He's always moved in different circles. He doesn't want to do things differently. You know, he wants to um, kind of move on his own two feet and do things that not everyone else is doing, and I think that's really important. I think a lot of people were upset that he hasn't gone to AEW to reform the band with uh, his mates down there, but I don't see that as a problem. He's just become one of the most powerful men in the American wrestling industry, and why would you need them? You know, I, And also, it, it builds the participation for the future, anticipation for the future. He's kind of cutting his own thing and doing his own thing. Why would you do the same thing as everybody else? And it's also important for... A, like a British wrestling point of view, a British wrestler is now in charge of Ring of Honor. That puts a very different spin on it and makes him think about different markets, make it think about making it acceptable to the British market, where there is a hole that they could fill. Um, his partner is, of course, Diana Perrazzo, so he's going to have a different thought process about how women's wrestling works, and Women of Honor sorely needs some new blood. I think there's been a lot of backstage movement in Ring of Honor and I think there'll be a lot more backstage movement in Ring of Honor with before the year's out. Um, and hopefully some people have gotten shot off. Because there's a lot of mistakes been made in that company in the last 12 months and they've finally seen the light. Somebody did point out, I think it was on Twitter, I can't remember who, that maybe if they'd offered this to Cody, 
last year, then AEW wouldn't have existed. So that's um, that's important, and I think you should probably think about that. Chelsea, our Chelsea, that's Chelsea Stollen of Panels and Pros on Twitter. She says, "Tell us about badass lady wrestlers who've won men's titles." Too many people think Tessa to think Tessa is the only one. To be fair, <laughs> that is, um, of course, down to the fact that um, you know Impact Wrestling have, of course, quite widely um, advertised the fact that Tessa Blanchard is the first one to win a women's first women's major championship. Well, that's not strictly true. I'm just going to look up some things here. Uh, there's quite a few down the years. We chain uh, one. Let's do this. Okay then. Well, I mean, there's plenty of women who've won won men's championships. Let's start with some of the most recent ones. Lefisto, who ended up in our conversation on Twitter, won 13 men's different championships in different organisations. We thought she'd won three. That was Courtney said three, and then Lefisto joined and said actually it was 13. So Lefisto, uh, badass, won many many women's men's titles. Uh, Miko Satomura, of course, won uh, the DDT uh, KO Championship last year, and of course has been Progress Women's Champion, but was also Fight Club Pro Champion, that's an intergender promotion. Uh, Kimberly won the Shikara Grand Championship, and at the time there was no Impact Wrestling Champion. So she was effectively as ranked, I think by the Aptomags, as bigger as, as the third ranking women's champion in North America. Or sorry, third ranking champion in North America. Uh, Daphne uh, won the WCW Cruiserweight Champion, I did Medusa Maselli, that was in a weird period of booking thanks to Vince Russo. So it wasn't as clean as we'd like to have seen it, but there you go. Um, there was, of course, uh, quite a few men's intergender matches in the early days of women's professional wrestling, back in the days of shoot fighting. I can't remember. I think, I think one of the early champions had a challenge that she would wrestle any men up to her, man up to her weight. And, of course, they would, um, you know, in a challenge match. But she was a badass shooter, so she would, like, knock them off quite quickly. Uh, of course, Lose Sexy Star won the Lucha Underground Championship, but Lucha Underground was happening. A few years ago, um, she beat the monster Mantanza, the monster Mantanza Cordo, which is of course Jeff Cobb, um, in that particular show. Uh, where else have we got? I'm trying to think who else we have. Um, there's been quite a few. Uh, China, of course, was Intercontinental Champion. Uh, with, that was one person. That was probably the most famous one, I would think. Uh, down the years, but this is a fairly regular occurrence. I think Tessa Blanchard winning the Impact Heavyweight Championship is the is the first one that's kind of like you know it's the first World Championship. But really, we had this conversation last week over Twitter, and it's like, well, to be honest with you, more people watching Shikara, more people saw Kimberly win the Grand Championship in Shikara than have been watching Impact Wrestling for quite some time. It's only recently that Impact. Have actually garnered an audience above three thousand a week. You know, in that blank period, they were on they were only looking at like three thousand viewers on Twitch, and like thirty thousand viewers on television. Well, thirty thousand viewers were paying to see Shikara when Kimberly won the championship. So I, I'm not completely convinced it's the the greatest uh, of accomplishments for Tessa, and it's it's kind of been undone by the the negative press that she's received in the last week. Um, I, how can you put it? It's it, it's an accomplishment, and it's nice to see that they're working that way, and the interjected wrestling can have a hold on uh, professional wrestling in a mainstream manner. 
but it has been done before. It's nothing new under the sun, as most things happen in professional wrestling. Um, Courtney says, if you had to choose between being locked in a room with an angry Suzuki or an angry murder hawk, that'd be Lance Archer, who would you choose and why? Um, if I could speak Japanese, Minoru and Suzuki, because we could talk it through, and I think you could talk to Suzuki, whereas I think Lance would just scream at you. Though in a non-kayfabe world, I think Lance Archer is a nice, calm gentleman who has cats. So maybe in the non-kayfabe world, I'd talk with Lance. <laughs> um, oh yeah, Nicole Matthews was another person. Johnny Whiteclaw joined in to uh, help us out with that conversation. Uh, Nicole Matthews won uh, some independent titles. Lefisto won the men's titles in Canada and the CZW Ironman Championship. The DDT Ironman Championship has been won by women several times as well. Just to give you that round off that particular story. I'm trying to find if there's anything else. And that's that. I've got one last question, which was from from Michael. Oh, um, let me find it. I have to go back and find it. This is Michael O'Reilly. He's N7 Reaper Killer on Twitter. And he says, Here is a list of wrestlers past or present. Ultima Guerrero, Randy Orton, Andre the Giant, Sharkboy, Caristico, Aja Kong, Becky Lynch, Ric Flair, The Road Warriors, Two Cold Scorpio, Sabu, Taz, Mako Satomura, Ibushi, and CM Punk. But what pizza topping combos would they desire on their pizza? Now, I threw this open to the crew because I, I was like, well, 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 there we go. <laughs> so, uh, here's what they said. Uh, Chelsea said, Punks would be anchovies and agrola because they're salter and bitter respectively. Ibushi doesn't care what's on the pizza as long as he has a giant Coke to drink it with. Becky Lynch would put pineapple on a pizza because if you know, you know. Uh, and Alex Watts said, Randy Orton's would definitely be the most American, with the most American toppings possible. And the one for Ric Flair would be the Multimillionaire, which retails at a very tasty £269 or dollars and comes with a range of exclusive toppings including fresh caviar, French truffle peelings, baby octopus, mussels and chilli sauce, squid, all topped off with a drizzle edible 24 karat gold flake, washed down with a complete bottle of champagne. So that's the Ric Flair pizza. Um, let's see who I'm going this. Ultima Guerrero. Um, he he's got to have like fish on his pizza because he has a mullet. So it's got to be mullet pizza for him because mullet is a fish. And you can take it. That's the reason why you made it. Okay. Randy Orton, of course. Andre the Giant. I think Andre was is kind of a traditional guy, but he liked beer. So I'm going to say. Shredded beer-soaked brief for Andre. Shark boy. I uh, shellfish. Is that or is that would be yeah yeah shellfish uh, a shellfish a prawn pizza I think that would work for him. Caristico, he's well travelled and not that successful. Sub ham and pineapple for him. Aja Kong. Um, Aja, 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 Aja Kong. I got to say that you know. I think she can have whatever she wants on a pizza, and I'd be happy with that. Rifflo thought about the Road Warriors would have to have meat feast, surely, because they brought all the meat. Two Cold Scorpio, oh dear, Two Cold Scorpio. Well, he brought a different kind of meat, but he would have to have the funkiest of all funky pizzas. And what is funkier than beef chili pizza? I think so. Cebu, oh, you'd have to take a risk with Cebu. Pineapple and banana. And Taz, let's see, Taz... Old reliable, he's a showstopper. I would go with chicken and ham. Mako Satamora, um, not many carbs on it, and it's a pizza, so she probably wouldn't eat pizza. She'd probably just have like you know 
uh, like a, a really light meat protein dish. So as much protein as you can get into a pizza for, for Mako because she's, she's a monster when it comes to that kind of stuff. So yeah, as much protein, chicken and, and chicken and beef and other proteiny things with eggs on it. In fact, just take the bread away and just have eggs as the base for the pizza. <laughs> and that's kind of, I think that covers the entire list. But that pretty much covers us for the Troopany show for the last two days. We hope you've enjoyed this new format we've been trying out of Q&A mixed with review, which doesn't mean the show is only 35 minutes because I run out of things to talk about, and also means that you get a full show. I've kind of done it over two days to give it a bit of a different approach, um, and I hope you enjoyed it. So that's me for the Troopany show for this week. My name is James Troop, and you find me on uh, Twitter at Sheriff Lone Star. You can find the show at Troopany Show on Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook, the Troopany Show, and Patreon, where you can keep the Troopany Show free forever for everyone. I will get back to that greatest musical top 10 thing, and maybe we can do it with the crew as well, so we can have some better ideas about what we're going to do for a future Q&A. But for now, take care, and I'll see you this week. By the way, telling stories this week with a bit more memeish mode for you. I decided to do the LCO from the Forgotten Tag Team series. Take care, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv.